Hi, it's Matt. Just before we start the show, I want to tell you about a great live event I've got coming up on the 27th of March. To celebrate 600 episodes of Recruiting Future, I'm going to be hosting a live Ask Me Anything webinar. This is your chance to pick my brain on anything you like, including market trends and predictions, the impact of AI on recruiting, skills-based hiring, the changing role of recruiters, podcasting tips, or even my favourite Scottish tourist destinations and whiskies. Literally, ask me anything. I'll also be joined by some surprise special guests who'll be adding their perspectives to the conversation. You can sign up now by going to mattalder.me slash AMA. That's mattalder.me slash AMA. And I really look forward to seeing you there. That web address one last time. mattalder.me slash AMA. Support for this podcast is provided by Willow, the one-way video interviewing platform. Speaking to candidates on Zoom, Teams or Skype is a great way to meet people, but it can also be exhausting, inefficient and inconvenient. Willow has taken the interviewing process and brought it into the 21st century. They looked at all the negatives of traditional interviewing like scheduling, fatigue, anxiety and travel and created a virtual interviewing process that candidates actually love and they have the NPS score to prove it. With Willow, you simply write a series of questions that you want candidates to answer, then share the link with them. They then answer your questions in their own time on any kind of device or browser. The company has a real focus on making the process easy and making it feel as candidate-friendly as possible. They also have native integrations with Workable, Greenhouse and Zapier, so you can automate your selection process, cast a wider net and really scale things up. Willow offers a totally free version that allows you to trial their approach to video interviewing for as long as you need to. And then when you do want to upgrade, it's genuinely affordable. And they'll even plant a tree for you to ensure that every interview is carbon neutral. Sign up for free at willow.video. That's W-I-L-L-O dot video. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi there, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 394 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Although I've tended to work with very large enterprise businesses as a consultant, I've always been fascinated by startups and the lessons larger, more established companies can learn from them. Although the actual execution will always be different, I think there's some real insights around the way that smaller, more agile companies think about talent, candidate experience and recruiting technology. My guest this week is Ben Butler, head of people at Dublin-based tech startup Evervault. Ben has worked for startup and scale-up companies on both sides of the Atlantic. He has a really fresh approach to talent and some great insights to share. Hi, Ben, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell us what you do? 
Yeah, uh, I'm Ben Butler. I'm the head of people and talent at Evervault. And uh, I guess I do both of those things. I help people get in the door and then hope they're having a help support them having a good time once they're in there. Fantastic stuff. Now, I want to dig in a little bit more into your into your backstory in a second. But before we do, tell us a little bit about Evervault. Yeah, I guess the easiest way to sum up Evervault is um, kind of like encryption as a service. So uh, we're basically building a company that will go into the kind of developer stack. So uh, for people building uh, new companies or existing companies, you know, you'll use something like Stripe for payments, maybe Twilio to send like text messages to your customers. And uh, we think using Evervault as encryption is sort of like the kind of no-brainer uh, that we're building there. Our kind of theory on the whole space is that you know cyber attacks are increasing, um, and people's like that's like one side. The other side is that folks. Uh, awareness of data privacy and desire around data privacy is increasing as well. So there's a bunch of tailwinds in this space. And for us, like encryption is the number one security tool because even if you do have a data breach uh, with using something like Evervault, uh, your data will be encrypted. So uh, the the days of having to check, you know, have I been pwned dot com or have, have Facebook, uh, you know, uh, have all my details been lost again, uh, will be over. So with Evervault, the idea is like you know you would like integrate us and, and never have a data breach again. Interesting stuff, and I can see that there's a there's there's a huge huge demand for that kind of approach. Definitely. Tell us a little bit more about your backstory. How did you get to do what you do now? Uh, yeah, I think it's uh, sort of a trope that uh, I think like no one uh, like people tend to fall into recruitment, and mine is kind of like that as well. Um, I, I was at Stripe before Evervault there for about five and a half years. And when I joined, Stripe was uh, a lot smaller than it was today. Um, I helped sort of build out the kind of the Dublin office. Stripe was globally about 200 people and, and like three or four in Dublin when I started. So um, I, I, I joined in sort of a like operations uh, role, but uh, my role felt more like kind of like building uh, a little startup where, you know, obviously Stripe had been already successful, but for about eight hours a day and in Dublin time, it felt like it was just us. So um, building out kind of an office from scratch, interviewing people, trying to like build the the brand and get people to join. And I felt that as the organization grew, I gravitated more and more towards um, helping kind of build offices, you know, like physically build them in some cases with like, you know, Ikea desks and things, but um, building out like the teams, the, the culture, how does an organization operate at certain stages. And um, after a couple of years in Dublin, I, I got asked to move to uh, Seattle to sort of do the same thing there. So while I always had, uh, you know, like kind of uh, operations-y kind of roles, uh, my kind of like unofficial job was always sort of building uh, companies and, and adding people to it. So was at Stripe for, um, yeah, about five, five and a half years. Uh, and then through a combination of um, like, COVID, the world collapsing generally, um, and then yeah, I think just like five and a half years at a pretty like uh, high growth, high pace company, uh, I decided I wanted to kind of take a break. So I moved home, had a few months off, which I would uh, highly recommend. I remember reading an article back in college about the idea of mini retirements of um, you know taking you know, if you can you know six to twelve months off every uh, you know every five to seven years, and I sort of backwards ended up in that. Um, and Shane, the, the founder of, of Evervault, uh, reached out one day over Twitter. I've been, uh, yeah, just like doing kind of crosswords and like living my like retirement sort of dream, doing a little bit of consulting, thinking about what I wanted to do next. Um, and, and Shane reached out and Evervault at the time, there was uh, five people um, and we had a chat and I realized what I wanted to do was kind of do it all again. Um, 
I, I enjoy the uh, the beautiful mess that is uh, smaller companies um, and coming in to. I realized the constellation of things that I enjoy doing were very much in the sort of like people space. Um, so coming in to kind of initially kind of build out our recruitment arm, but then uh, my natural tendency is to get involved in a bunch of other things. So uh, building out kind of, I guess, the people operations of, of the company now. So tell us a little bit more about the challenges, the the recruiting challenges that you have at Evervolt at the moment. What, what's the what's the situation like? What are you kind of up against? Yeah, so like I guess there's the the macro trends that uh, you know I, I know you I know you and your former guests have, have been speaking about in terms of the the state of the recruitment market now. Like like we're feeling that as well. I think we're in an interesting position where um, our value proposition um, is like pretty unique for for being based in, in Dublin. You know, we're a Series A uh, funded startup with like. You know, like American levels of funding, which is pretty new for Ireland. You know, like a lot of the Irish tech success stories, um, uh, like Stripe uh, and Intercom, um, like have come from Irish founders, but have seen a lot of their success uh, in the US and then eventually sort of come back uh, to Dublin. Uh, we've been inverting that model a little bit in terms of like building from here. Um, and there's us and I would like two other companies to come to mind immediately, Inscribe and Tynes, but in a set of, of three it's a pretty unique value proposition because the like tech ecosystem in Ireland previously has been, you know, work for a large um, tech company like Google uh, or work for sort of a smaller startup that would, wouldn't necessarily have the same um, kind of funded trajectory that, that we do. Um, so yeah, like it's actually like quite a good uh, value proposition, I think. But the the issue is we're we're dealing in a market where it is new. So even things like what is a Series A or um, you know like the sort of backing of the sort of VCs that we have, that in a, a different market like San Francisco would, would be very appealing. Um, but here it's a bit more about the kind of education of what that actually means and the idea that there is this kind of Goldilocks opportunity between um, you know a small startup that uh, like people you know it, it's a big risk and uh, you know you won't get paid and stuff like we can give you people competitive salaries like like nice benefits and getting a sense of uh, you know. The big company perks, but having the ownership over uh, what you're doing and building company from the ground up is really exciting. So, the recruiting challenges are you know, the same that everyone's sort of facing. We're competing against brand name companies, but I think the depth of things that we're working on, the scope of the problems, particularly for engineers, um, we're kind of building things that you know uh, people can't really Google the answers to. Like we're kind of uh, figuring out things from. From kind of uh, from scratch, so that that's that's really exciting when you find the right people. But uh, there's a lot of I guess kind of education and handholding through uh, what can be a kind of scary thing to jump from a bigger company. Absolutely, and I, I suppose that was that that was my next question. Really, you've obviously got a very strong value proposition in lots of lots of different ways. That's going to be attractive, even in a really competitive market. On a practical level, how do you get that across? How do you sort of cut through the noise and let people know that you're there and kind of give them that sort of great experience to bring them into your business? Yeah, I think there's uh, there's there's two approaches to it. One is you know we we do general um, like PR. Uh, communication stuff that has both a uh, hiring and like sales focus to it. Um, so that's just sort of a general market awareness that you know Shane Kern, our founder. You know, th- there's a great sort of story behind him, and, and particularly in Ireland, is sort of a local boy done good narrative that a lot of people would sort of know him from from the past few years. Um, that's part of it, and I, I think like that will get to the people we want to hire, but then also 
the people that like they will talk to when they decide to make that kind of decision. And we found that over the past few months, we, as we've been listed in more of these, like there was a Wired article about like top European startups or a Forbes article about like future unicorns and things. Like having this collateral, I think, is helpful for uh, candidates and sort of making the decision and speaking to partners, family members, friends, and uh, sort of validating externally that hey, like this is a real company, not just you know, uh, you know, a, a couple of uh, <laughs> students in a dorm room somewhere. That that's part of it. And then second, in in the more like very practical sense, um, building like outreach campaigns that uh, will stand out. Um, and and part of that is. Um, the channel. So we're seeing a lot more success with email outreach over LinkedIn. I think like LinkedIn for engineers is super saturated. So we're trying to go around that a little bit. Um, structuring automatic follow-ups and like all these things. So we use uh, two tools here. One is called Gem. I think it's gem.com. Uh, and the other is uh, Lever or, or Lever. Uh, using them in, in combination to build these smart, um, like personalized yet automated campaigns that we're seeing super high open rates of like 90, 92%, which for like engineering cold emails is like pretty high um, and seeing good success there. So part of it is, you know, the work that we're doing, communicating that through. And then part of it is, uh, yeah, the more granular, uh, making sure we're reaching out to people in a way, following up with them and getting them enticed. But thankfully, uh, what we're selling seems to be uh, seems to be working because uh, we're, we're getting some good attention, which is which is nice. You obviously mentioned that you've got a broader responsibility for people operations. Once you're sort of getting people into the business, how are you making them sort of stay? We've all sort of uh, seen so much about the amount of turnover that companies are having at the moment. How how do you keep the the, the great people that you're recruiting? Yeah, I, th- I think like part of it is when someone is joining at, at this point, uh, they're joining for a certain role, but but uh, the people that we, we want to attract and people that are there joining are, are people who want to kind of go beyond the confines of their role. Like that was something that, that excited me in joining in that, you know, there's an area of things I'm responsible for, but I'm responsible for the growth of the, the business as well. Like everyone who joins gets um, equity in the company and like is treated as an owner and kind of acts that way. So I think that's partly it in terms of having real ownership, you know, the, the kind of narrative I hear a lot from candidates coming from bigger companies is yeah like feeling like a, a small cog in a, in, a, in, a, in a big wheel or amongst multiple wheels and here like you know we're helping sort of uh, build the wheel I guess and continuing the cog wheel analogy that, that that's part of it I think ownership at, at the big level secondly is um, like paying salaries that you know people everyone has a kind of personal burn rate and stuff and uh, joining a startup can seem risky so I think by like Offering competitive salaries, we help, uh, I think, alleviate that that risk as well. Um, but my focus has been, like, I have seen, you know, Stripe grow, uh, you know, like, <laughs> in, in many multiples over the years and, and continuing that to be the case. Um, and while each company is idiosyncratic and different, there are still um, kind of commonalities that, that pervade through them. So some element of this kind of... Uh, Cassandra-esque ability to sort of see around the corners as to what's going next as to, for example, uh, you know, in our office, um, you know, currently we all, everyone can sit together when they're in and not working from home. Um, that will soon break and people will be like, you know, across a different floor and, and these kinds of things as well. So some element of like seeing around it and building kind of proactively can help with that. And then there's just another element of like, uh, I think buy-in and, um, clarity and um, 
openness about what we're doing as well. Um, like we operate in Slack, people can see, you know, uh, like most messages, what's going on. Everyone's calendar is public. You can just like, you know, ask. So I think there's a mix of uh, transparency, ownership at the higher level, and then just making sure that people's needs are met, whether that's uh, salaries, whether that's like, um, you know, like uh, other kind of benefits that we offer as well. Like, and I, I want us to be best in class, even though we're a small startup, like we offer uh, you know, unlimited leave, which has its own uh, concerns. But we've built in unlimited leave with a like set minimum, um, as well as you know things like uh, maternity leave, paternity leave. Thinking about how we can support parents better, offering flexibility there as well. And I think it's like all the things that people expect of a larger company can be done. I think at a, a smaller level, and like as you say, like in a market where um, talent is a, a limited resource that people are fighting over. Um, it, it's a kind of strategic competitive advantage for us to invest in our employees and hope that they stay. A quick message from our sponsor, Winolo. Hi, everyone. I want to tell you about Winolo. That's W-O-N-O-L-O. Winolo stands for Work Now Locally. Winolo enables businesses to find quality workers for on-demand, seasonal, short-term and long-term work. Ditch the bulky paperwork and interview process and use Winolo to find quality workers fast and get work done even faster. With flexible workers and no platform fees, you can save on operating costs, meet demand and maximise earnings with ease. Winolo is available in over 100 markets including Chicago, Dallas, Atlanta, New York, and Seattle. Get workers who are ready to work and spend less time finding them with Winolo. Go to www.winolo.com pod. That's www.wonolo.com pod and take the stress out of finding workers. So you've worked for different types of technology companies. You know, obviously you were building out a Dublin office, but you've worked for effectively what's a very large tech company. You're now working for one that's scaling up. What lessons have you learned from your sort of current experience that you think might be relevant to people who might be listening from much bigger, much bigger organizations? Yeah, look, and like I, I definitely don't know everything, but I, I think from from what I've seen is the more you can do to reduce um, or democratize information silos, the better. Uh, Stripe had a great thing where they had uh, essentially like internal email transparency. So you could always send like private emails to people like your manager and things, but you were encouraged to CC like mailing lists that anyone could sort of subscribe to. And, um, you know, like most documents, unless they were sensitive or were open, it could be found as well. Um, so I think having kind of Transparency, and even though it can become a bit of a fire hose of information, like giving people the access to information, I think, like makes people feel empowered. It um, like reduces some of the like power dynamics that are built around kind of information periods uh, pyramids. So that's something like I've been trying to integrate more in, into our vault. And at the size we're at, like you know, like things just definitely are like everyone's involved in it, and people have prior perspectives. Now there's negatives to that in terms of you know uh, you, you you put a dock in a Slack channel and suddenly like ten eyes are on it and that can feel a bit weird but I, I'd really recommend that it was uh, super empowering at Stripe and something I'm continuing as well. 
I think, yeah, like just like trusting people, um, like in a similar sense, but uh, at Stripe, you know, at, at all hands meetings, um, and, and again, it's a practice I've, I've taken to everyone. It's like we're super transparent about the kind of financials of the company, where things are going, and treating people like business owners, um, I think is really helpful there. Um, in terms of hiring and like hiring specific things, um, there are a bunch of uh, like software. Uh, like SaaS uh, companies that make my job a lot easier, and you know, I'm a uh, one-person recruiting team that's spread throughout. You know, our engineers and hiring managers, and we have a an external agency we're working with now. But you know, uh, I've been able to kind of build and hire a team with uh, you know a, a lot less overhead than I think we would otherwise. So there's a mix of lo- uh, higher-level things, which I think are largely around how can you be transparent and, and trust uh, your employees. And then secondly, there are a bunch of kind of like practical things which I can go into if that's interesting. But uh, I think it's getting the higher level things right. Um, and like a, a, a sort of aside, but uh, I think when you're thinking about culture and that sort of thing, I think companies tend to focus on uh, the sort of physical manifestations of culture and do this thing where uh, they'll try and uh, mimic uh, like larger companies. So uh, you see this a lot in traditional kind of uh, banks and financial institutions in Ireland where. You know, they're like, oh, we'll put in some beanbags or kind of colored chairs and that'll solve everything or give us this kind of startup culture. But um, uh, unless you're in, in really investing uh, at the like higher layers in terms of uh, like the principles, practices, um, putting in a few beanbags, I don't think it's going to change anything. So a mix of super big things, but also like startups are one paradigm where they are very good for some things and not good for others. So I, I would be reluctant to uh, yeah, like oversubscribe people to that, but they are good at some things. You mentioned a couple of times the, the the sort of practical software automation that you're using in 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 your hiring. Just tell us, give us a little bit more more detail on that because I think people will be really interested in terms of, of of how that's working for you and how you've put it together. Sure. Uh, yeah. So I can run you through maybe our like uh, kind of candidate flow and how that would sort of work from them. So uh, initial outreach is usually sent by by me or someone on the team through. Uh, Gem, um, like that's a great product for for sourcing. It, it's like a Chrome extension plugin that works with LinkedIn and a bunch of other things. Um, so we'll do things through that. I within Gem, I've built out kind of email campaigns. They have a bunch of white papers that I read to, you know, giving suggestions on timing, number of follow ups, that sorts of things as well. Um, so we'll send all those emails through through Gem. Uh, within those emails is a, a link to uh, someone's Calendly, which is a calendar scheduling tool. Um, so we basically just remove all the back and forths of, hey, does Tuesday at 2 p.m. work? No, that doesn't work for me, like that sort of thing as well. Um, and then Calendly will kind of, uh, like throughout the process, uh, people can just like schedule with um, their kind of next interviews through that as well. Um, for our kind of um, applicant tracking system, we use uh, Lever or Lever, depending on your pronunciation. Um, that's essentially equivalent to Greenhouse, if people are familiar with that. Um, that's the home for candidates as they move through the process, where people can put in um, yeah, feedback, ratings, that sort of thing as well. Lever also has automated emails that I can send through to kind of um, keep people moving through the process. And then we integrate with DocuSign for offers as well. So um, our goal when we uh, get someone on an initial call is uh, we have them through our five interview stages and an offer back to them within two weeks. Um, and particularly these days, like that speed is a competitive advantage for us in, in hiring. Like we've had people join for 
partly because they're they're sold on on a company, but like smaller reasons have been, oh, you just move so much quicker than, uh, you know, large company X, or I was waiting ages for large company Y and got frustrated, so I was look, looking elsewhere. And I think our software stack, uh, plus like the sort of buy-in from the the hiring team, mean we can move fast and efficiently. And like I know. Uh, I have some friends who are recruiting coordinators, and look, I think that's a great foothold to get into um, recruiting it in one sense. But I, I, I almost think uh, that if companies were to focus less on recruiting coordination and focus more on sourcing, that to me is a a better route into recruiting because that's the the core part of all recruiting is finding people. I think like scheduling people is maybe not a. a as transferable to scale as I think we've seen it traditionally, and it can be better solved, I think, uh, with software and having those people focus on spending more time with candidates and sourcing them as well. Uh, definitely, like a, a hot take from you know some kid who's been recruiting for uh, officially only a year or so. So take that with a grain of salt. But I do think that the software we're using it, it helps a lot. I think that's really interesting, and you, you do actually encapsulate a lot of what's going on in the evolution of recruiting at the moment in terms of the role that automation and technology is is playing and, and also how that's gonna how that's gonna play out in the future and, and and become even even more central to to what we do. So I suppose that that leads nicely on to my my final question, which is what do you think the future of recruiting is going to look like? I mean, you're already kind of embracing a lot of the, the tools and the tech that's out there, but by necessity, what, what do you think recruiting might look like in two or three years' time? Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think you'll see a couple of things. Like one is you'll see kind of uh, blow-ins like me coming in. I, th- I think like the um, the crunch we're seeing in in recruiting and, and technical recruiting in particular, I think like will necessitate like. Um, kind of folks from other disciplines coming in. I do think like recruiting and people focused things have been uh, like overlooked somewhat. I, I think in terms of um, like the strategic importance that they have for a company. And um, yeah, I think like startups like hiring like they usually hire a people person too late. Like I'm I'm happy that we like we haven't done that. Um, so I, I think you'll see like two things within that. One is like startups like uh, like. Focusing on hiring and people earlier, like maybe not quite to the extent of having a you know hiring focused co-founder, but like within the first five ten employees having someone in. Um, I think two is you'll see more kind of like peripheral business operators moving into the like, the recruiting space. So that's anyone from business operations to sales. I think particularly at a startup uh, or a non brand name recruiting space. Um, you know, it's it's way more of a kind of a sales gig uh, to convince people to, to join necessary than traditional uh, recruiting. Uh, three, yeah, like increasing automation technology and tools there. Um, but four, I like I'd like to see more of a like not like democratization of recruiting, but I think LinkedIn will break. I think uh, the idea of like I'm sure there are like all my engineering friends just have hundreds of unread messages, and I think like that strategy will break eventually i don't know what will replace it but but yeah i think like perhaps there will be something where there's a kind of greater equilibrium of a constellation of glassdoor linkedin like that sort of thing as well uh, like I, I think more people like um there's a, a woman called jennifer kim who, who i follow who like is sharing a lot more about the kind of like human side of recruiting and the realities there and i think the the future recruiting is a combination of yes the by the current squeeze on, on, on recruiters uh, you'll have people from other disciplines kind of coming in i, I think you'll see people operators 
become a like more central and an earlier part of, of company formation. Um, and yeah, I think as you said, the increasing kind of tools and automation will like free up people to uh, not necessarily have to serve their time as like you know, recruiting coordinators in the traditional sort of path, but uh, be able to kind of go straight into recruiting. And I, I think like it is also this like big secret of like I like this is the most fun I've ever had uh, in work. Like there's nothing nicer than uh, finding someone. Uh, you know, on like Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever it is, or in real life, whenever that can happen again, um, and and finding a fit for them at your company and seeing them grow and succeed like more than you ever thought. Like, there's nothing uh, I think more fulfilling than that. So uh, I hope more of my friends who aren't in, in recruiting will join in the future. But I don't know. I think the the future is bright for for recruitment. There might be a few more tools and software to help, but I don't think it's anything to be worried about. I think it's a value add for the great people that will continue to work in the space. Ben, thank you very much for talking to me. Thanks a lot, Matt. My thanks to Ben Butler. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow the show on Instagram. You can find us by searching for Recruiting Future. You can search all the past episodes at recruitingfuture.com. On that site, you can also subscribe to the mailing list to get the inside track about everything that's coming up on the show. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time and I hope you'll join me. This is my show. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about, and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so.